Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm your host, Stephanie, and today I have a bit of a fun episode. I am technically out on maternity leave, but since this baby has decided not to be born yet, I thought about chatting with my good friend, Laura, about a very important topic. (laughs) Laura, welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you, Stephanie. I could not think of anyone else to talk about this very important topic with. I am the only person. Probably because like our conversations literally are this. Yes. It's just talking about like, is this person a six? Is this person a five? (laughs) Today we are sorting horror characters into the Enneagram. It is a personality test. There are nine types they are nine numbers and listen there's a lot on the internet you can read about this if you really want to like get into like just google it yeah it's take the personality test. typing yeah it's a personality type you can find out find your like wings and where you go in stress and health it's a whole it's a whole thing I'm not going to get into that right now that would take so long and Stephanie kind of dragged me into a corner and said this test <laughs> What are you? And I'm into astrology typing. So I'm like, okay, I'll, <laughs> I'll do this. <laughs> and then we ended up being the same one. <laughs> yes. Yes. So there's a few different personality type systems that people are familiar with. I think the one people are probably most familiar with is Myers-Briggs or like the MBTI, you know, like the INFJ, ESTP, you know, all of those, like the 16 different types. And that gets into more about like how you think and how you function. Whereas I think the Enneagram, and this is why I like doing it with fictional characters, kind of gets into what motivates you. Like what is your motivating factor? And I think also has a little more of like a, I don't want to say a negative connotation, but I think it definitely (laughs) doesn't hold back with like what you need to work on. Yes, which is always something that we like to see, especially in horror. You know, a lot of these people are not behaving well. So, yeah, originally, I think our idea was to have all characters from adaptations so that we're also from books. But then that was too hard. And then I think like I wanted to have like a good horror character and like a villain horror character for each type. And then that was too hard. So it's just yeah. yeah, So (laughs) it just is what it is. (laughs) It is people. Yes. Well, and they're not all people, I guess, technically. Yeah, that's true. They're not not all people. And if you identify with a certain type and you are upset about the characters <laughs> that are placed with that type, just know like this is for fun and that doesn't mean anything. You are not defined by <laughs> Please these characters. <laughs> Yeah, if you're like, oh, like I'm a three, but I definitely don't identify with that. There's so much range within each type. So we had a lot of fun doing this. (laughs) And this is just us uh, categorizing some of these characters. So there we go. (laughs) We're just talking about characters. And if you don't like the type at all, if you don't like the system at all, we're still talking about horror characters. So how can you lose? Exactly. It's a win-win for everyone. Yes. All the like Enneagram nerds that find this podcast and are very angry that we are screwing everything up. (laughs) Being very simplistic and reductive. Okay, sorry, it's a fictional character. We only got to be with them for like 90 minutes. Mm -hmm. So I think we should start out with Enneagram 1. It's a good place to start. This is the reformer. And I'm going to just throw like pop culture characters that are not horror right off the bat so that you kind of get a feel for like what we're working with here it's helpful yeah so I'm throwing out Angela Martin from The Office and Leslie Nope from Parks and Rec bringing different energies but also kind of the same thing yeah perfectionist of a, a type a personality Yes, type A, very idealistic, strong sense of right and wrong and following rules. On the healthy side, very organized, has it all together. On the unhealthy side, can be a little bit inflexible. Yes, very rigid values at times. I would say if you are an Enneagram one, you have probably have made a recreational spreadsheet. (laughs) I can see that happening. So who do we like for Enneagram one? Well, I think 
Pinhead, we could make a case for because he's just very strict about these rules. You open the box, you get the chains. That's that's the rules. Although, like, Kirsty does talk him out of it, but only because she's like, listen, someone else escaped, so... The rules will be followed. Pinhead is one of the very few, <laughs> like, um, franchise monsters that we could pick for this because yeah. it's very hard to like nail down what motivates because I mean like Freddie and Jason are motivated by revenge but that's just very broad right whereas Pinhead I don't know what does motivate him <laughs> bringing people <laughs> into the um after they yeah. solve the lament configuration, bringing them in. I mean, essentially. And I am just going with the first Hellraiser, not getting into the sequels where he got his origin story. Yes. Or the third one where he, like, goes crazy and turns, like, a whole BDSM nightclub of people into, like, weird <laughs> 90s Cenobites. <laughs> so, yeah, I... I would say he's a one because of his adherence to the rules and I would say not even unhealthy because he is willing to listen when Kirsty brings something up. But he's like, yep, like you open the box, you go to the torture dimension. Yep. That's that's the rules. <laughs> you get the chains like we, you know, all of us, we do our weird sinister walk like through the walls. It's fine. I'm also saying Dexter Morgan. Yes. From Dexter. He lives and operates by a very strict set of rules. And those rules are that he only kills other serial killers. He also has a system for organizing his trophies. He keeps like a, a drop of blood on a slide and he has that in his... He has his own organizational system, very one, and his day job is a job that requires a lot of attention to detail. He's a blood splatter analyst. Exactly. I think that's maybe an even better example because he is a, a human, but he's doing something specific. And he's got a system. He's got like the cling wrap whole thing. He does the speech. He does, you know, the whole thing. Yes. <laughs> so I'm going to say... Those are our picks for an Enneagram 1. Moving on to Enneagram 2, these are the helpers. My pop culture picks for this are Winston from New Girl and Samwise Gamgee from Lord of the Rings. Very uh, nurturing characters. Mm -hmm. And I would say usually people think of twos as being a very feminine Enneagram because it is the caretaking, nurturing type but we actually do see quite a bit of male twos i think if you look in pop culture yes definitely so what motivates a two or what are some of the traits of being a two well i think that a two would show love to others by doing things for them they need to be needed um they're usually very altruistic but they can become overly possessive of people they love so because twos are uh, prone to become overly possessive of those they love, they might turn into kind of an Annie Wilkes type. That's what I was thinking. Ooh. That's a good one. Because, you know, this is an example of a dysfunctional two. You can have a functional character like Samwise Gamgee, or you can definitely have someone who takes it too far. Um, in Misery, Annie is definitely trying to help and trying to people please in her own way but her vision of what that looks like doesn't really align with what is actually helpful <laughs> um she becomes extremely possessive of paul sheldon and she kind of seems to be motivated in the as it goes along by having possession of him, taking care of him to an unhealthy extent, uh, getting him addicted to painkillers, etc. And it kind of seems like this is just a fluke situation, like she just happened to find him, but uh, later on you kind of find out that maybe this is something that has been a recurring theme in her life. I haven't seen Misery, so I don't know what you're hinting at. Yeah, well... <laughs> <laughs> You will find out, let me tell you. So yeah, twos are the caretakers, like we said, for all of these, 
it's a spectrum and there are unhealthy and healthy traits. And since we are dealing with horror characters, obviously a lot of these are going to deal on the unhealthier side of the spectrum. <laughs> I would say Pinhead would also be unhealthy, <laughs> but, you know, Annie Wilkes is a human being. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, if you identify as a two, like, we don't see you as, like, a smothering, like... No. Although you should watch out. Don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. I would say twos are most likely to have friends over and refuse to let anyone lift a finger to help out or be over with, like, a homemade soup when someone is sick. Like, assertively giving help. Yes. It's, like, a very two trait. Very I feel like this is, like, the mom friend in a group of friends. Right. They always have the things in their purse that you yep. need. And they are there for you. This was my roommate Hannah in college. Aww. <laughs> she was the mom friend of our room. <laughs> uh, moving on to Enneagram 3. This is the Achiever. So a lot of pop culture people for this. I am talking Christina Yang from Grey's Anatomy. Paris Geller from Gilmore Girls, Rachel Berry from Glee, and Tom Haverford from Parks and Rec. Yes, Tom. <laughs> These are hyper-competitive people. They need to be successful and, more importantly, to be seen as successful by their peers. Very achievement-oriented, and they fear being worthless. Yes. Entertainment 720. <laughs> rent a swag yes uh, I would say most likely to take new year's resolutions very seriously or to be willing to end friendships over a board game like this is the person that is willing to like end lifelong relationships over a game of Monopoly <laughs> <laughs> so my pick for an Enneagram 3 in horror is actually Juno from The Descent. She's not the POV character. She's Sarah's best friend. Like we see her and Sarah in the very beginning. And she, I think she's the one that plans everything, right? Because she's the one in charge of like planning the hike and the cave diving and where they're going, which is a big plot point. Yeah. Yeah. But she's the standout in the group. And I would say where she has the biggest three energy is when she... Okay, keep in mind, this is already like a group of women who do very athletic things and go cave diving and do these like very adrenaline heavy activities for fun. And she gets up and goes on like a however many mile run, like the morning of their cave dive. <laughs> After they had all been drinking the night before, which made yeah. me feel kind of sick to just look at it. <laughs> Which is everyone looks at her and is like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> and you can tell that Juno just like feeds off of that energy. Like, yes, yes, I did. I did go on a run. Yes, she needs and, to be the best and mm -hmm. she needs to be the first into this cave system. Yes. And one that she I mean, the essential plot of the movie is that she has decided they all agreed that they were going to do this certain cave dive. And she instead takes them to one that's not on the map that no one's gone into yet because she thought it would be a good surprise for them to be like the first to explore, which is, again, a very three motivation. Yes. Maybe have it named after them or something. Yeah. And when they end up getting stuck there, no one knows where they are. And then that's kind of like the impetus for the, the movie and <laughs> where yes. things start going wrong. Um. So, yeah, I'm going to say Juno from The Descent. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I would say maybe Guy Woodhouse from Rosemary's Baby. Um, I hate to spoil anything, but you do find out throughout the course of that book slash movie that Guy is willing to do anything to succeed. And he's kind of humiliated that he's been in these small acting roles for so long. And he might be willing to risk a lot um, to become suddenly much more successful. Success at whatever cost, huh? <laughs> yes. Whatever it takes, whatever he needs to do. 
and he's very cool and collected throughout the whole thing. That is in Enneagram 3. So Enneagram 4s are very sensitive. They are introspective. They're in touch with their own emotions. Sometimes they can be kind of melancholy. Uh, They need to be seen as individuals and unlike anyone else. And their focus is to know themselves. They're that very deep person who's always thinking about, you know, who they are. Um, When they're unhealthy, they can be pretty moody, self-indulgent, and they fear that no one understands them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so fours are the individualist. And pop culture-wise, I have April Ludgate from Parks and Rec. (laughs) very moody (laughs) yeah and her big thing uh when she gets together with andy is that she doesn't want to be an adult like she doesn't want to be like everyone else like she has to do all these things to be different yes she doesn't want to settle or be lame or you know Mm -hmm. be serious yeah she has to be her own person This person, I would say, is most likely to stare out of a window when it's raining and sad indie music is playing in the background. I would say is peak for aesthetic. Yes, I can see that. (laughs) (laughs) My pick for an Enneagram 4 is Louis from Interview with the Vampire. He just spends the whole novel mourning about the fact that he has to face eternity as a vampire. And, I mean, we meet him... We don't meet him before he's turned because this is an interview. But when he talks about his life, even like before he was turned, he still had a lot of like sad mopiness and was grieving. Um, And yeah, he just has a lot of mopey emo energy, I think, especially when later we talk about Lestat and just the very the big differences in (laughs) how they view uh being a vampire and having to live for all eternity within these like parameters and like you know only being out at night and having to live off of blood and interview with the vampire is told from louis perspective and he just has all these like existential big feelings and issues with what he has become and what he has to deal with very angsty. Yes, a lot of angst. My next pick would be Joe from You. Definitely. Yes, he thinks he's different. He thinks that he's different, <laughs> Beck is different, their love is different, and yeah. he obsesses over all of this. He's obsessed with that, and I mean, he's the archetype basically for like the quote-unquote nice guy type because he's obsessed with the idea that Beck is different from all of her peers and all of her friends and all of the quote-unquote other girls and he is different because he deserves her by the way I don't know about you but I'm talking about the book you I know that there is a tv series now but I can only speak to the book (laughs) (laughs) I conflate the two like once I have read a book and seen a movie I'm like they I pull from both (laughs) yes okay so (laughs) you're you're speaking yeah I'm like you're speaking exclusively from the book um I would say also the idea that he immediately romanticizes his relationship with her like first chapter first interaction seeing her in a bookstore he's already talking about them like they are together yes he thinks that her paying with a credit card is like a sign that she wants him to know her name Mm-hmm. Romanticizing relationships is a four trait, uh, yes. an unhealthy four trait. And yeah, he's definitely very moody and very intense. Yes. Very um, obsessive. I guess one could say introspective, just in a pretty toxic way. Uh, very, very angsty in his own way. My thought about a horror type would be maybe Frankenstein's monster. Okay. I think that he does have his own kind of, although it's driven from necessity, he is kind of a loner. He spends most of his journey just trying to understand himself, and he's searching for his place among humanity. He doesn't think anyone could ever understand him or accept him. And maybe this is less his personality and more just a fact <laughs> uh, because he is an undead creature. But, you know, I think to a four, he would speak to that part of their soul, though. They're like, I that, get it. Yes. I get it. Frankenstein's monster. You and me both. <laughs> We're together in this. 
And, you know, he basically spies on a family while he's being all emo and thinking about how he just wants to be understood and loved like they are. So I think Frankenstein's monster could be a four. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I think when you first brought it up, I'm like, I don't know. But yeah, now that you put it like that, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's totally a four. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It depends on what version you go with. But uh, I think that the way I understood him, kind of a four. Next up is Enneagram 5. This is the investigator. So I'm saying this is Sherlock Holmes, Ron Swanson, Captain Raymond Holt from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and Cheedy from The Good Place. Definitely a Ron type. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What motivates them is to know everything they value rationality over everything they need alone time their favorite weapon is information they tend to be more on the unemotional side unhealthy vibes can become isolated nihilistic and emotionally detached from life yes there's a lot of uh, unhealthy potential in the five traits, although most fives, I think both of our partners are fives. Yes, both of our partners are fives. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's not like we hate them. It's just that they have the potential to kind of go in that unemotional direction. Mm-hmm. I would say this is a person most likely to have a slew of fun facts and did you knows about basically everything. <laughs> so a character from horror that I was thinking could be a five would be Hannibal Lecter. Um, he is kind of the smartest guy in the world, or that's how he's betrayed. And he's always, like, extremely calm, like, eerily calm in most circumstances. He seems to know everything, and he seems completely emotionally checked out. He has, you know, no real reaction. He is able to act in a completely cool, calm manner, even when killing people. Um, And he really doesn't seem to mind being in solitary with his own thoughts very much. He seems like he's not gasping to get to Plum Island or anything like that. So I think that he could be a five. Yeah, and I would say fives usually in fiction are the character that's always like two steps ahead. Yes. I think we see that a lot with like how... He wants Clarice to figure out what's going on. And like he knows and he's withholding information and kind of playing this game where she has to like tell him stuff about her and then like he'll give her a little bit. Like he loves the game. Yes. And even though he is asking her for information about herself, I think it's kind of a... um an entertainment thing for him yes less than (laughs) an emotional connection i guess it depends on whether you ship it (laughs) (laughs) i do not (laughs) sometimes depends on my mood (laughs) oh man i am gonna say ripley from alien Ooh. yeah usually Enneagram fives, if like Enneagram twos are seen as very female, I would say Enneagram fives are usually seen as very male just because it usually is like the cold, detached character. The rational voice. Yeah. And I mean, Ripley isn't totally unemotional throughout the (laughs) Alien franchise. I'm going (laughs) off specifically the first movie. And I mean, Enneagram fives aren't robots. Yes, they are we'll, still we'll get human into, beings. We'll get into maybe a little bit. But. <laughs> <clears throat> but they tend to, in situations, be able to put rationality over emotion when it's important, which we see with Ripley. Yes. When the first group of people come into contact with the, I mean, we don't know at the time. <laughs> Is this even more? like she... <laughs> is the only one that is talking about that is really wanting them to go through with proper quarantine procedures and we see that it's actually her male co-worker that is overcome with emotion and wants to let them back on the ship which is a decision that ends up endangering everyone yes bad choice yeah so we see that in that moment she did not let her emotions get in the way she is a good five yeah good final girl 
Yes, totally. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And yeah, speaking of robots, a character I just felt like we had to mention would be HAL 9000. Ooh, a literal robot. Yeah. I'm afraid I can't do that, Dave. Yes, just I think it's so sinister in horror, the idea of a... I mean, and a lot of people don't consider 2001 A Space Odyssey a horror movie, but just something you cannot reason with because it is being like all about rationality and the facts and it is completely incapable of empathy. Yes. And, you know, he was personified to an extent. And then uh, he got to a point where it was kind of a horrifying personification. So I can go with that. Afraid I can't let you do that, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) No. All right. Moving on to Enneagram 6. The Loyalist. Yes. That's us. That's us. (laughs) (laughs) So this is Dwight Schrute from The Office, Kevin McAllister from Home Alone. Taurus and Scorpio. (laughs) (laughs) So you can see quite the range. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, motivations and traits. I would say worried about what could go wrong. Everything. <laughs> Extremely <laughs> loyal. Um, <laughs> uh, and I put in the quote, I think it's from Bob's Burgers where it's like, fine, I'll go, but I'm going to complain the whole time. <laughs> yes. Always so that... me in the friend group. <laughs> well, I would say, okay, like we were talking, I would say in most like survival horror movies, you can spot the Enneagram six because the Enneagram six is the character that is saying like, I don't think we should do this. Like, do we have cell phone reception at this place? Do people know where we're going to be? Like, this is the person that is bringing up all of the things that everyone should think about. In horror, it's usually the person they should have listened to the whole time. (laughs) Yes. But in normal real life functional situations, sometimes can be seen as a little anxious. Mm hmm. So Enneagram sixes are usually always aware of the risks, big planners, distrustful of authority, rules, institutions. Ugh. <laughs> uh, unhealthy sixes have a tendency towards paranoia or hypochondria. Like I would say like um, in fiction, maybe like a doomsday proper would be like a very yeah, stereotypical definitely. unhealthy six. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Someone who takes it a little too far. Mm hmm. So this person is most likely to have one of those gadgets in your car that breaks your windshield and cuts your seatbelt, you know, just in case. Yeah, and I do have that. <laughs> Me too. So there we go. <laughs> so one of my picks uh, for an Enneagram 6 is Eddie from It. When he grew up, he became a risk analyst, which made his sixness into a, a career, which is pretty cool. He is the kid who's a hypochondriac. He's always worrying about getting sick. Um, thinks he is sick when a lot of times, especially as a child. It was and, a gazebo. Yeah, um, <laughs> is it a gazebo? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, there's some pretty tense scenes where he thinks he needs that inhaler so bad. He makes a joke about all the diseases that are in the sewer where they have to, you know, beat the final evil, and that's what he's thinking about. Um, and in the book, he marries a woman who's a lot like his mother, which I think. I guess in a sense could be loyalty, but it's kind of like he'd rather have something he knows than kind of go out on a limb and be with someone who's different. Yeah, I remember watching the It Part 2 and I'm like, oh, I'm I'm an Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. That's, that's who I am. <laughs> you know, when they're all kids, it's a little different because they're all scared, obviously, but it's yeah. like, oh no, we're adults now. <laughs> Uh, I would say a good final girl example of a six is Nancy from Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes. She is distrustful of authority, or at least becomes distrustful because her dad is, I don't know if he's the sheriff. I don't remember if he's like the sheriff or if he's just like a police officer. But I mean, like the adults in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise are the worst. (laughs) Yes, useless. because for, yeah, for one, they literally put them in the situation that they are in. Uh, but their response when things start happening is, yeah, just useless. Uh, at the beginning, her dad literally uses her as bait when he thinks that um, it was her friend that killed Tina. 
And then at the end, during the big climax of the movie, he locks her in the house and she literally is like screaming out her window and just <laughs> asks him to do one thing. And she's like, Dad, in like 15 minutes, I need you to like come inside. And he just like completely blows her off. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, she asks for that. <laughs> one thing and he does not follow through. I... And she is the character that comes off, I think, especially when she's talking to her parents as crazy, when she's talking about how she saw this guy in her dreams and he had the knives for hands. And later we see her reading a book called like booby traps for dummies or like <laughs> a beginner's <laughs> guide to booby traps, which is a very six move. She channels her Kevin McAllister on Freddy. She is prepared. She is prepared, which is like, I think the best depiction of a six is like someone who takes all that paranoia and channels it in a way that defeats the monster is like the best <laughs> outcome for a six in horror. Yes. <laughs> Not just like the person wringing their hands that dies first, obviously. <laughs> so yeah, that's my final girl six. It's Nancy. My other thought was kind of the obvious, like literal prepper was the John Goodman character from 10 Cloverfield Lane. Um, he actually has an entire stocked bunker. I mean, how much more six can you get? <laughs> he not only has this bunker, it has enough food, it has like systems for them to actually survive down there. It's completely prepared and it's very secure. There is uh, fail safes and like, what do I want to call it? Like he can monitor the bunker. Mm -hmm. Um and he definitely impresses the need for caution on the other characters uh, to, to a toxic extent. I won't spoil the movie by telling you how toxic this is, but uh, you could see him, uh, if you didn't know, the outcome is either a very toxic six or a very rational six. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I haven't seen any of the Cloverfield movies. I mean, I don't know if I recommend, but I had a good time. <laughs> <laughs> This is the one I think people like the most. I mean, I enjoyed it. The other one, uh, the first one, my friend and I kind of more enjoy quoting it and <laughs> uh, being obnoxious about it. This one I actually kind of legitimately enjoyed. And moving on to the Enneagram 7, this is The Enthusiast. I'm talking Michael Scott, Kelly Kapoor, Andy Dwyer from Parks and Rec, the Weasley twins from Harry Potter. <laughs> Lots of enthusiasm. <laughs> yes. Traits for an Enneagram 7. They are adventurous, spontaneous, optimistic. They in value enjoyment and having fun. They dislike being forced to deal with negative emotions. They like to live in the present. They do not like to dwell in the past. They do not like to think about the future. They are the life of the party. And they avoid situations that are not enjoyable. They tend to be procrastinators. That is the most Michael thing. Like, when you think about <laughs> the perfect storm of him having to sign all those papers, then it all falls on the same day. <laughs> he refuses to do it the entire day and says that he's sick. Oh, man. <laughs> I was telling Laura, yeah, like, all my best friends in college were sevens, which was good because I probably would have just stayed in my dorm all of college if I didn't have, like, my seven friends who would like drag me out to go like do stuff and be social. So, yes. Like, there's the a lot of good friends. to seven. Yeah. <laughs> so I would say sevens are most likely to go to multiple parties in one night or spontaneously buy an airplane ticket. They don't do not want to miss out. They want to be having fun the entire time. Yeah, this is definitely the FOMO Enneagram. <laughs> so who did you have for the enthusiast? Oh man. I had uh Listat <laughs> from Interview with the Vampire, which we talked about was going to be a very big contrast to Louie yes. from Interview with the Vampire. He's so having a better time with it. Yes. And um, so Listat is the vampire that turns Louie. And just right off the get-go, he's like, all right, like we're going to take in like our last sunset and it's going to be so awesome. You and me, we're going to be vampires and we're going to get to party all the time and that's basically his attitude throughout like the whole movie <laughs> and yeah it's a very big contrast to 
Louis's introspective existential crisis that he has basically the whole length of the novel I think you can see that like Lestat is so into having fun and sees being a vampire as a gift and that he's you know like basically all powerful and kind of starts to resent Louis like I mean depending on whether you see them as a couple you start to see that being like the biggest strain on their relationship is that he feels like he gave him this gift and he's unappreciative and he's mopey whereas Lestat really sees this as like (laughs) how do you not see this as the greatest thing ever I thought we were having fun (laughs) (laughs) Like, we get to be out all night, every night, for the rest of eternity. (laughs) I don't see how this is a problem. Oh, man. And Tom Cruise's performance in the movie adaptation, I think, really channels that. Yes. He seems like he's having a good time. Yes. I I really appreciate that. Who do you have? Well, um, this is maybe not technically horror, but it has horror in the title. (laughs) So... Uh, you know, you don't find a lot of sevens in horror, but I think Frank Inferter from the Rocky Horror Picture Show is a good example we could use as a seven. Uh, he's definitely someone who parties hard. He behaves erratically. He is uh, definitely going for all pleasure all the time, does not want to do anything negative, really. Um, and he is just there to have fun. Uh, I don't know if this is strictly horror like i said but uh you know it's a dark a dark property <laughs> like you said it has horror in the title well yes <laughs> come on <laughs> so frankenfurter i think is the uh seven is seven i could think of yeah i can see that moving on to enneagram eight this is the challenger uh, so I am talking the Queen of Hearts from Alice in Wonderland, Inspector Javert from Les Miserables, uh, Donna from Parks and Rec, and Magneto. So if you can think of that whole vibe, yes. tying all of those together. <laughs> uh, Enneagram 8 traits. They are aggressive. They have a strong sense of right and wrong. That's a big eight thing is justice, ingrained moral compass. They are confrontational, decisive, cannot deal with incompetence. They are natural born leaders, very like lead follower, get out of my way types. And I would say these people are most likely to confront someone who cuts in a long line or brings too many things into like the express line. Like this is the person that's not scared to get in that person's face and call them out. Yes. Like I'm going to like, yeah, I'm going to like mutter under my breath that I'm annoyed (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but an Enneagram 8 is going to be like, excuse me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what I mean, in the case of Javert, he, he stole a loaf of bread. <laughs> Let's give the guy a break here. <laughs> it was against the law. <laughs> <laughs> Do not and forget you... my name. <laughs> Do not forget me. <laughs> yeah. Men like you never change. Okay. Like if we remember, he did escalate to stealing silver. <laughs> oh god <laughs> Candle, candlesticks and such so <laughs> we'll just start singing the confrontation song <laughs> oh god no one wants to hear that i can guarantee you <laughs> i have no voice so no one wants to hear it <laughs> oh god i do oh. love that soundtrack though oh yeah uh okay so my idea of a horror enneagram six would maybe be jigsaw Um, You can see how he imposes his sense of morality on others throughout the entire Saw franchise, and he really sees his morality as a metric by which to measure how people cherish or don't cherish their lives. He sees things in a very black and white way, and he goes to extremes without seeming to consider, does this person really deserve to be made an example of for this small part of their lives? Um, he's aggressive in many ways, including the fact that he literally forces people into these scenarios. They don't have a choice. They're not getting invited somewhere. They just wake up and they're playing a game. And I guess this is a minor spoiler, but he sets up uh, in the franchise for this work to be continued after his own death. I mean, he was really committed (laughs) to this idea. I mean, that is commitment. Yes, I think that's an aggressive eight in a nutshell. 
So I was thinking that was the most eight that anyone could possibly be Jigsaw from Saw. Yeah, definitely. When you brought that up, I'm like, yeah, that actually makes a ton of sense <laughs> for me. <laughs> yep. Very aggressive. Last one. Enneagram 9, The Peacemaker. This is Jerry Gergich from Parks and Rec. Jane Bennett from Pride and Prejudice. Dorothy from Wizard of Oz. Hobbits just in general. And Pam Beasley from The Office. Peacemaking. Yep. They value harmony in groups. They dislike conflict and interpersonal tension. They are most likely to lose themselves and others when they start mirroring to fit in with people. I mean, they tend to be very likable people that can kind of fit in with different groups, but they have a tendency to lose their identity in that way. These people are usually very salt of the earth. And like I said, on the unhealthy side, they can lose their sense of self because they are empaths and can lose themselves while empathizing with another person for sure most likely to take the job no one wants to keep the peace oh yeah we love our nines yes they may be (laughs) underappreciated sometimes but we do appreciate them i mean i think jerry is like the most archetypal nine yeah i'm like my little brother's a nine (laughs) yeah like just people who just go with it yeah just go with the flow don't want to make any waves in the mm-hmm. horror sphere, um, I was thinking of the unnamed narrator in Rebecca, okay. which maybe is kind of a gothic thriller, but it's, it's horror adjacent. Um, she pretty much just goes with the flow the entire time. Like, she's going with the flow at the start of the book when she is a companion to this old woman. Um, she meets Max, and she's very, you know, she's open to whatever he's open to. She is open to getting married suddenly. She's open to suddenly becoming the lady of Manderley. And this menacing housekeeper, she won't just fire her. She just goes along with what she says. Thinks that, you know, it'd probably be easier. Mm-hmm. Let's herself think that she has her best interests at heart. Yes. Just kind of, you know, she doesn't want to make waves. She, <laughs> she just wants to try to do this thing and live her life find peace and make sure everyone else has it too so yeah i don't know if you haven't read rebecca that i think you might not know that the main pov character is not rebecca yeah no (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're actually yeah in the pov of a character who is never named yeah never know what her name is but we know who she is. Yeah. <laughs> That's how peaceable she is. She doesn't even want to disrupt us to tell her tell us her own name. She's like, don't worry about it, guys. Like I I'm just here to tell the story. I'm just here. I'm here to tell you about Rebecca. <laughs> um, another gothic story. Ooh, is there a lot of nines in gothic stories? Probably. Because yeah. they tend to be a little passive, maybe. So Another nine in horror uh, we were thinking of might be Eleanor from The Haunting of Hill House, uh, the book. She kind of breaks with the nine type for the events of the books. But up until then, she just cruises along and she's like very peaceable and passive in her life. Yeah, like we see her and her family had basically forced her to be a caretaker for her mother and they just kind of assumed that she was always going to be there and so we see her kind of take a big step like answering this ad to come to this house because I think in the book it's like people who have had like poltergeist activity or like sire like sensitive to supernatural things yeah right? like that's who it's par- paranormal experiences um and she had had like some kind of a poltergeist experience as a child anyway like I'm just trying to remember things um so this is her really breaking out of that shell to come here and we see like during the drive out here and her just like going to this new place meeting at a restaurant by herself in this new town and coming to this house is all just like very new and scary for her Yes, it's a big deal. When she does meet the group, she tries to make everyone else comfortable. And she meets Theo, who she 
clicks with right away. But then I would say her nine, her unhealthy side of her nine kicks in and she starts to empathize too much and loses herself in Theo in the thought of like having this future with her. And she becomes um, a little crazy and a little clingy. And I would say her nine kicks in. She starts vibing too much with the house and the house, I think, starts getting to her out of everyone in the group. Yes, she lost herself a little too much after that big rebellious move. Mm-hmm. I think the the house senses that when you read the book. Yes, especially, you know, we're not going to spoil it, but the end of the book, uh, she vibed way too much with that house. <laughs> <laughs> so that was Eleanor from The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. So yeah, those are the nine Enneagram types. I said, yeah, with this episode, we are just having fun and dealing with kind of broad stereotypes of each type. So I'd say don't take it too personally if you have like strong (laughs) feelings for like identifying with a certain type where you feel that we got it wrong. Or if you just hate the types in general, just it's just a fun time to talk about horror characters. Yeah. And their motivations and stuff. I like talking about Enneagram, I think, concerning fictional characters because I think throughout fiction we do get to really see their motivation yes yeah i think it's fun to just like think of characters in a new way like not necessarily just their plot from a to b but just like who they are as a person and you know why they're there yeah what drives them what are they scared of what are they scared of other people seeing them as yes exactly these things are i feel like all important and signs of a good fleshed out character i think the fact that we could do this (laughs) is a sign that these are people that we can recognize in our real life. Right. You know, horror really draws from who we are as people and what it means to be human. Agree. (laughs) Laura, do you want to do some chilling obsessions? I would love to do some chilling obsessions. Um, this is a very late breaking chilling obsession, but I've just been thinking about the movie The Lighthouse a lot. Um, I would have to watch The Lighthouse and The Witch like back to back. Uh, they are by the same director, if you did not know that, um, to decide which one I like better. But I just enjoyed The Lighthouse so much. I really would like to read the screenplay. This is a movie that came out last fall about uh let's just say Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson taking care of a lighthouse together and they're in a very isolated situation you know what usually happens <laughs> in fall movie releases where people are isolated um I just found it really fascinating I loved the way that the characters work together and kind of the things they revealed about themselves uh along the way it's also really beautifully shot in my opinion I want to see that you have to watch it, Stephanie. I will come find you and force you to watch Misery and the Lighthouse. <laughs> Isn't it weird? I was listening to a podcast. I think they were talking about an interview that Robert Pattinson did while filming the Lighthouse. <laughs> and he said that to get in character or to get like serious, he like gags himself. He like puts oh. his fingers down his throat to like <laughs> I don't know. It's like a weird like physical thing he does to like reset or like put himself in the moment. And he said you could tell that like Willem Dafoe was just looking at him like what the the hell is going on? Willem Dafoe was like you could try acting. (laughs) It's easier. I'm not saying he's a bad actor. I'm thinking of another quote. I think it was from Marathon Man where one actor was being very method and the other one is like you know you could just try acting. Yeah, Robert Pattinson said that Willem Dafoe was like, I hope this guy does not throw up on me. Like, I <laughs> That's bad if Willem Dafoe says, I cannot. <laughs> He's very good in it. I think that he is doing a job reinventing himself. Okay, so the gagging works. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Whatever you have to do. I'm sure I have something like that, like popping my shoulders or something like that. My chilling obsession is one I'm surprised hasn't been a chilling obsession yet, just because I've listened to this podcast for, I feel like, a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is Ghost in the Burbs, and this is um, 
done by Liz Sauer and it takes place in Wellesley, Massachusetts. And she basically has a blog and interviews people and the podcast is more of a recap of that interview. So it is just her talking and like doing a recap of what that conversation was. But people who in her neighborhood have had paranormal experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, And just each episode is like its own isolated incident. And some of them are just really creepy. I just think she does such a good job of like narrating and setting the tone. Because, I mean, she's talking about this like as a mom who's like dealing with like talking to these other moms and like the school drop off line. And then they just have this like crazy paranormal story. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) Um, And I think like listening to it, I don't think you ever really know if it's like real or fake. (laughs) It's kind of how it's laid out. So I just mean it adds to like the realism of the story or like. You know, like, the realism is never broken. Yeah. Well, I mean, if we found evidence of the paranormal, that would be a little too much, but... <laughs> Maybe. My sixness is very, like, listen, like, I don't know, like, for sure, but I'm not, like, completely I'm not out. counting it out. No. <laughs> like, I'm not... We'll be killed. <laughs> right? Like, I'm not playing with the Ouija board. Like, do I think it's probably stupid? Yeah, but I'm just not going to take my chances either, you know? Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so that is Ghost in the Burbs. She, I thought, was done with the podcast, and she took, like, I thought she kind of went on a permanent hiatus a few months ago, and I was sad. Uh, but then she came out, yes, like, uh, this week and said there's a new episode dropping. Oh, my gosh. So I was really excited. So check that out, Ghost in the Burbs, wherever you get podcasts. Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod or on Instagram at Books in the Freezer. We're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Books in the Freezer. You can send us an email at Books in the Freezer at gmail.com. Show notes for this episode and all previous episodes are at Books in the Freezer.com. We are on Patreon as Books in the Freezer. I'm Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Lady underscore Ganya. On Instagram at That's What She Read, that's with two A's, and on YouTube at That's What She Read. Laura, where can people find you if oh you want to be found? <laughs> no one would want to find me. I don't really have a platform, but I am Kitten Nuisance on Twitter. Join us next time for Books in the Freezer. I am still on maternity leave. Hopefully, by the time this episode comes out, this child will be born and I could start working on the next batch of episodes for you guys. So see you in a bit. (laughs) 